0: Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to Retire Smarter. A few words that may have never been uttered before to start off today's podcast. Right before we began recording, I said, oh, Social Security, this will be fun. I have no idea why I came up with those comments, but you're going to try and accomplish that difficult task today, right, Kevin? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, Thanks for setting me up, Walter. I will do my best, all
0: right? (laughs) Well, we've got a fun show on the way for you. Welcome, by the way, to Retire Smarter. Walter Storholt here alongside Kevin Krosky. He's the man you're here to hear from, the president and wealth advisor of True Wealth Design, serving you in Northeast Ohio with offices in Akron and Canfield as well, but serving you all across the country. If you want to check us out online at truewealthdesign.com. Dot com And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite apps. We're all over the place. Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, all those good ones as well. If you find an app that we're not on that you like to listen to, uh, let us know. We'll make sure that it gets submitted to those different providers. So, yeah, at the beginning of our uh, session today, before we hit the record button, Kevin said, yeah, on this podcast, let's talk about Social Security and the trustees. F- I'm, I'm reading my notes here, Kevin. And the trustees funding report. I read it. Not a lot of people probably have, so I want to talk about what I learned from it. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I look I'll forward say, to I'll this. I'll save
1: everybody the the torture, but I'll give them uh, what I think that they need to know. How's that
0: sound? There you go. Yeah. Why Why would you take time out to read a Social Security trustees funding report? What can be gleaned from that?
1: Well, you know, it's a common question. If I back up for a moment, there used to be this figurative model of a three-legged stool for retirement. And one of the legs was uh, pension from the company that you spent your whole career at. Another leg was from social security. And the third leg was from your savings and investments. And over time, the pension uh, leg of the stool for most people is going away or been cut off to a certain extent just because companies now for about you know 20 30 years have been getting out of the pension business and just being more 401k or defined contribution focused so more of the the weight has come on to all of us to prepare for our own retirement and social security is still important you know it's a good chunk of change for for most people you paid into it for for all these you know 30 40 plus years that you're working and then you get into, to retirement, or at least on the doorstep of it, and you think, well, I can't need income, so people often just, but just turn it on, and they don't really think about you know planning for it. Now, we've talked about this in you know prior episode, and and that that's really changing in part to people like me that are informed on how the system works and on how to integrate it in somebody's overall retirement plan and retirement distribution plan, but there's still a lot of people that you know just kind of take the de facto approach of, okay, I retired, I'm 62 or better, I'm going to go ahead and, and start it. And I'm a big believer in, in not doing anything de facto and not thinking about it. We want to help people retire smarter. That's the whole objective here. <laughs> so when you start looking at it and you start talking to somebody about, hey, maybe it does make sense to defer the benefit, and we really won't get into that conversation today, but just presuppose that it, that it does so one of the concerns that comes up is well do i really want to do that i mean is it am i going to get the money out of it i've heard <laughs> that there's some funding issues down in washington dc and i don't know how i feel about that so i think it's valid i think it's a common concern that a lot of people have it may be correlated to their political persuasion i'm not sure it may be correlated to their age at least we think of it that way But I wanted to unpack that a little bit. The Social Security Trustees report comes out every year. It's kind of the, you know, here's the report card on Social Security. And so we have to include that that part of the stool into somebody's retirement plan. So, you know, should we include it to the extent that they're currently promising us benefits? And that's what we're going to get into today.
0: So Social Security, obviously one of the most talked about things when it comes to retirement planning and its viability into the future kind of is then, you know, subheading 1b if you will whenever the social security topic comes up so yeah tell us about some of the things that you learned from reading that report and your kind of read on the situation as it is right now
1: sure so if you look at your statement and you you can go out and you can get your statement at socialsecurity.gov and you have to log in you have to answer some questions and hopefully you can answer them right They're uh, they're linked to your credit report and uh, if you have a common name, say like you know Bob Jones, then there's a lot of Bob Joneses that are out there. And the credit reports we found for more common names often seem to get kind of um, you know crossed up. So <laughs> sometimes people can answer these questions, and sometimes they can't. But if you can get it online, then you can just go ahead and get online, download uh, the PDF report and it'll show right on you know page two of your social security report you know what your projected benefit amount is at different ages and then i think it's in bold uh, but right below that it says you know something to the effect of you know the above are estimates only and that the current funding for social security is projected to to run out in like 2035. and so that understandably evokes fear in people saying well yeah, I heard the government you know, had some issues and this only further proves it, but I got to pay into this thing anyway. So what that really means when you start looking into the report is that it's not like it's going to be bankrupt in 2035 for years and many people know this but you know back in the day you know if you go back 50 years ago 60 years ago there was a lot more workers compared to benefit recipients and so a lot more people paying in compared to those that were you know receiving and collecting and benefits being paid out to well that's changed over time as people are living longer You know, they're receiving benefits longer. You got, you know, the social security system has been around for quite some time now. So it's just kind of, it's matured, if you will. So whereas you go back to the 1950s and you had about 16 workers for every one benefit recipient, when you go out to say about uh, 2035, it's just a little bit more than two. Two people paying in for every one benefit recipient that you have. And so just the demographics have, have changed a lot and with the baby boomers continuing to retire then you know it's continuing to go that route well so in 2011 was the first year that all the money that was collected through payroll taxes you know you look on your your pay stub and you see you know these fica people and you know they're pulling out 6.2 percent of your pay and putting into social security and then you're paying another 1.45 percent for medicare but you're only paying uh, the 6.2%. I say only, you know, on a certain amount of your wages to ballpark it, it's about $130,000 this year. So if you are fortunate to say, make, you know, 200,000, you pay tax or security tax 6.2% on the first 130 ish. And then you only pay Medicare tax, the 1.45 on amounts over that. And so in 2011, because of, again, the demographic changes and the amount of benefit recipients in relation to the workers. That was the first year that Social Security collected. uh, It was a deficiency balance, if you will. So there was a surplus that was built up in there in the trust fund. They also have some basically government bonds that are in there that are earning interest and they're spending down those reserves. And that started in 2011. And it's gonna continue on a projected basis through 2035. At which point in time, everything that is collected is gonna turn around and be paid right back out. And at that point in time, that's when we're gonna have this deficiency in the system. So not like it's gonna be completely bankrupt, but it's gonna be deficient. when it just has this PAYGO system, money's collected in about 75% is the current estimate about what's gonna be able to be funded in 2035 when all the surplus is drawn down. So it's not like, the system is going to be going away. Reforms are going to have to be made and Washington is not known for getting a lot done these days, but sooner or later, <laughs> uh, the bell's going to have to ring and things are going to get done. So all that I wanted to talk about was a few of the, what I think are the lightly fixes I'm going to put on, you know, this prognosticator hat, look into the crystal ball ahead of me. And I'm going to try to predict not only the future, but the future of what our congressional and Senate leaders are going to do. It sounds a little risky when I say it out loud, Walter, but I'm going to do it anyway. We okay? like
0: risky here on the podcast though. I think that's that's what makes this, I said it was going to be a fun podcast about social security. So I think the predictions <laughs> are what, what get us there. Right? <laughs> I'm
1: setting myself up for failure here. So I'm okay with that though. So I think uh, in my opinion, and this has to do in terms of kind of the projected gap and what the likely fixes are going to be kind of considering, you know, the dollar amount of the fixes and just the feasibility of things. And I'd be stupid if I didn't think about the electability of people, because once they get into Washington, their primary objective is to stay in Washington, the cynical of me would say so. You know, you you have this gap. We had tax reform in 2017. In 2017, they introduced something called chained CPI into the tax code. And basically every year that there's inflation, the tax rates increase by inflation. Well, at least they did until chain CPI came into effect. And so now what happens is there's this chain CPI and without getting into the details, if you look at just actual CPI or consumer price index, again, just a proxy for inflation, it's how the government measures inflation. Chain CPI, if you look back over say the last you know three or four decades, it's about 0.25% less than what CPI is. And so said another way in, in numerical terms, if inflation or CPI is 2.5%, chain CPI is probably going to be about 2.25%. So it doesn't sound like a big difference. And you know, if you look at it over a 30-year period, it'll reduce the value of a dollar by about maybe like seven or 8%. So you're going to have kind of smaller inflation increases, but in aggregate, that's going to fill up about 20% of this deficiency once we get into 2035. And this is something that historically both Republicans and Democrats have agreed to. Uh, And so I think it's just a matter of, you know, when this does come together at some point in time, it's already been agreed to in in different formats and different bills and then just kind of different leaders talking about it over the years. So it seems like it's it's easy common ground. You know, I don't think most people are going to get up in arms about a 0.25% change to their cost of living adjustment because most people's minds don't work where they compound that over time and really just do the math. So that fills about 20% of the gap or so, and it's already into the existing tax tax code. So so there we go. The other thing is I mentioned you're only paying payroll taxes on the first 130000 Social Security is a social insurance program. So disproportionately lower income people benefit from it more than higher income people. At least that's the theory behind the system. The cynic in me says well those higher income people live longer and have you know the wealth that they have correlates to better food and better health care and what have you and that correlates with living longer so they actually get benefits longer but but that's a conversation for another day so if they just uncapped the one hundred thirty thousand, that would really fill up the rest of the gap so two changes you know, you disproportionately affect a group of younger, higher income people that are still paying into the system. And then you do this chain CPI and it really closes the entirety of that gap. There could be other changes, but I think those are two of the most plausible. There's nothing else that even comes close unless you're going to get into like some steep benefit reductions of what that uncapping of the payroll tax can do. So it's most likely going to, affect disproportionately younger higher income people and i think everybody's going to share in kind of the the less noticeable pain of moving to a chain cpi for the cost of living adjustment and if you do those two changes in those two changes alone it's like 95 percent of the gap that it will fill even if they push back the retirement age the full retirement age a little bit beyond say 67 that will help even further and probably plausible just given how people are living these days and how they're living longer
0: so it's good to know. It sounds like that, as part of that three-legged stool, Social Security is not uh, not going to lose its leg anytime soon. Even though we're encouraging people, you know, to be more independent, rely less on Social Security for their ultimate retirement plans, we can still rely that that stool, that leg, is going to be there as part of that stool, right?
1: I completely agree. You know, if we have somebody in certain plans, maybe we have a client that is more sensitive to that assumption. And we we just can go ahead and create, you know, an alternate scenario of showing, well, you know, Hey, if social security was maybe reduced by 25%, which again, is kind of what the math would show if no reforms are, are made, but you know, you kind of have plan A and plan B. The other side that I would say, the other important thing I would mention is it kind of depends on your age. So any of the proposals that I've seen over the prior years, usually there's a cutoff line somewhere between age 50 or 55. And if you're older than that, then you're not going to be affected. And these changes are going to be phased in over time. It's the same thing that happened back in the early 80s. That's when they moved the retirement age from 65 to 70, but it affected people that were born in 1960 and later, the age 67 cohort that I mentioned. And so if they were born, the, you know, the earliest was 1960, the change happened in 1983. So they were 23 years old when President Reagan signed into law that change and they had the entirety of their career to go ahead and plan for that phase in. So pass is probably prologue there and it's likely that you would have a similar sort of phase in if there's some sort of movement in the retirement age or even potentially some sort of benefit reduction, which, you know, again, it kind of violates rule number one of Congress and Senate of getting reelected for a benefit reduction. That's why I think some of these other things, you know, you get the high income, younger people, higher income, small voting voting block, and then the 0.25% on the COLA. You know, there's a lot of people that they're not going to understand what that is. And so they're also not probably going to get up in arms about that change.
0: Yeah, that's uh, really good points, I think, Kevin. And glad that you read the funding report so that we didn't have to. That's the moral of the story.
1: We have to have good assumptions going into the plan. So I won't say that I incredibly enjoyed reading it, but I think it's part of the the job. So you got to do what you got to do.
0: That's right. We can't love every single piece of our jobs, but the overall benefit is that you know more going into each and every person's plan now, having had that information. And hopefully you found this information helpful on today's podcast as well. I'll remind you if you are interested in talking, Kevin, a little bit more about your particular situation, you can always get in touch by going to truewealthdesign.com easiest way to do it is to look for the are we right for you button and you can schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced financial advisor on the true wealth team right there from your computer or smartphone just go to truewealthdesign.com and click on that are we right for you button or you can give a call to kevin and the team as well at 855-TWD-PLAN that's 855 893 Seventy-five twenty-six. well kevin thanks so much for walking us through that report and giving us some good takeaways from that recent piece of information that came out and we'll look forward to a fun podcast with you again next time around
1: sounds great walter
0: i mean take care that's kevin krosky i'm walter storeholt thanks so much for joining us don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app and give us a a review on itunes on the apple podcast app as well and uh, shoot us your comments anytime By going to truewealthdesign.com and letting us know what you think of the show, or if you've got any questions, we're happy to certainly answer those for you. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time right back here on Retire Smarter.